1208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Check it out. We are live streaming, facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. Lots of people watched the broadcast yesterday. Maybe even more today. Eric Bilstead, you going to watch the uh, World Series tonight? You know, I will dip in. I don't really have a horse in the race, though. I'd love to see both teams lose somehow, right. but I will dip you in. You will dip in. Gru, who's producing the show today and always, you're going to watch it? No. He's a definitive no. I, I'm a hell no. I'm, I'm not. I have no interest at all in watching the World Series. And, of course, it's going to be on Fox, so that means Joe Buck is going to be calling it. Joe Buck and a World Series that I have no interest in. Nope. I am... I guess I hope the Dodgers lose, but I don't care enough to watch it to to see the <laughs> Red Sox win. Yeah, exactly. Nope. No interest at all. Um, basketball, football, waiting for Brewer spring training to open. But no, I will not be one of those people watching. Is that, right, is that sour grapes? Maybe it is. It, uh, no, it's just that uh, maybe it is sour grapes. I don't care. Call it what you will. I'm not watching. And my guess is... Lots and lots of people are not going to be watching. We have a lot of stuff to cover on today's show. Let us start out. And again, we're live streaming Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. If you want to figure out, if you have a young person, let, let's say you are raising a child or, you know, you want to give your grandson or granddaughter, I guess, perhaps even some advice as to how to be able to skate through life with very little consequence and be able to pretty much do what you want and not be held accountable for things, I have four words. Learn how to dunk. I want to talk again and revisit the case of DeAndre Long. Now, if you remember this, DeAndre Long is the young man who, well, he, he went he went to Washington, Milwaukee, Washington High School. Matter of fact, he, he still goes to Washington High School, Deontay Long. He was the one in June of 2017. He and a bunch of his buddies went on a crime spree, according to a criminal complaint. First of all, what happened is he was involved in robbing a sandwich delivery driver of $140. This would be Long and four others. According to the criminal complaint, the group then attempted to rob a woman walking her dog in the early morning and then carjacked another woman as she parked her car. Long was not charged in the latter two incidents, but they were kind of read in. So he was convicted of a Class C felony, charged and convicted of a Class C felony. Now, you will recall why this kid was in the news, because he is one of the top top high school basketball prospects in, in the country. And he plays for the Washington high school basketball team, which went to the state finals last year. So he's charged with a, a felony. And what happens is he sits out a couple months. He's suspended for the cross-country season while the case is pending. And then he serves his cross-country suspension, and he goes back, and he's playing basketball. But those are while the charges are pending. He is convicted in the early part of this year of a crime. He's convicted of a felony, and he is awaiting sentencing. And as a matter of fact, what they do is they time the sentencing so that it happens after the end of the basketball season. And Deontay Long then goes on, plays, again, leads the team. They, they lost in the finals. But here you have a guy who is awaiting sentencing, a convicted felon who is out playing basketball. 
and the rules don't stop that from happening. Well, all right, after this happens and they get a bunch of bad press, MPS says, okay, well, we're going to implement a rule that somebody can't play interscholastic sports for a year after they have been charged with a crime. And the WIAA is now considering making a change that would make any student athlete who is charged with or convicted of a felony ineligible to participate in WIAA tournaments. But the WIAA, being the foot-dragging organization that it is, that's not going to come up for at least another several months. So anyhow, here you have Long, the guy who is now sentenced. He appears in front of Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Pedro Colon earlier this year. He is put on probation for five years, but as a condition of probation, he is ordered to serve 12 months in jail, 12 months in jail. Now, if he had served the 12 months in jail, this would have made our conversation that we're about to have academic because he would have been in jail during the the basketball season and presumably would not have been able to play. But Pedro Colon, the circuit court judge, says, tell you what, I'm going to review this after six months. And, huh, six months just happened to be the other day. And so after a hearing, coinciding again with the start of the high school basketball season, Pedro Colon has now released Deontay Long from custody. So he will be eligible to play his senior year for Washington, Milwaukee, Washington High School. So here you have, again, a guy who is a convicted felon who will be playing basketball his senior year. The judge says, well, none of this had anything to do with basketball, and you can believe that if you want. If you believe it, my advice would be be sure to tuck your shoulder when you fall off the turnip truck so you don't hurt yourself. But the bottom line is you now have somebody who is a convicted felon, Not a charged felon, but a convicted felon who is, as we would say on paper at the moment, who will now be playing basketball for his senior year. The reality is there's nothing anybody can do about this situation. It's just, it is worked out, I think, and I, you will never convince me that there wasn't, I mean, at least some stuff going on to make sure that, you know, this kid did not lose the ability to play basketball at all. If if this were not a star basketball player, I seriously wonder whether this would have transpired in the same fashion. But regardless, he is a star basketball player, so he's going to be in a position to play his senior season. And the truth is, there's nothing that anybody can do about it. That's just the reality. Our number, though, is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Moving forward, I think it is outrageous that MPS would allow somebody who is a convicted felon to participate in athletics. That's number one. Number two, I think it is outrageous that the WIAA would allow somebody who is a convicted felon to continue to participate in athletics. 414-799-1620. Again, now this is a bigger issue. It is a done deal with regard to this young man. The way the system works, he's going to be able to participate. The question becomes, should this ever happen again? 
414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And my answer would be no. What sort of message does this end up sending to kids? And in this particular case, the guy was involved in a, in a series of robberies, convicted of one. But where do you draw the line? I mean, if it's a sexual assault and he's on, I don't know, probation or gets time served or whatever, I mean, is that the type of thing you want? Does it matter what type of felony it is? Does it matter if it's a crime of violence? Or shouldn't we just have a rule that says if you are convicted of a felony, boom, that's it. Your athletic career, at least in high school, is over. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Again, we are live streaming. It's facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ 1217. Jeff Wagner. 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, WTMJ, again, live streaming, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. Yeah, he, he's, he's back. Deontay Long, who is the all-star, all-world basketball player, who also happens to be a convicted felon, his little trip through the criminal justice system last year was, in my opinion, time to make sure that he could participate in the state basketball season last year. And now he's been released from prison, jail, just in time to start the last basketball, his senior year at Washington High School, and no rules, at least in place right now, at either MPS or the WIAA, would prevent somebody in his situation, a convicted felon, um, from participating. MPS does have a rule which says that if you are charged um, or convicted of a felony, you are ineligible for um, one calendar year from the date of the conviction. But, of course, that's not going to stop him from being able to play. Uh, let's talk to Teresa in Milwaukee. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Teresa. What do you think? Uh, I'm appalled because all of our students have to uphold a code of conduct that says that if they are caught, say, at a drinking party or doing something against the code, they mm-hmm. are suspended from game activity, and they typically have to sit out quite a bit. I can't believe that this young man isn't sitting in prison. Well, and, and what, what MPS would say, well, the rules that were in place at the time had him suspended. He served a suspension last year during the cross-country season. He served the suspension, so now we can't punish him anymore. And, and they might be right. But moving forward, I mean, I, I guess what I don't understand, Teresa, is the, the fact that can, can MPS and can the WIAA be so blind that they don't understand how wrong it is to allow somebody who is convicted of a felony, convicted, not even just charged, but convicted of a felony, including what I would argue is a crime of violence, to be participating in extracurricular activities. I completely agree, and I'm concerned for the safety of everyone on the court with him. Yeah, well, thanks. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know that it's so much. I don't know that it's so much that necessarily. But you, you do wonder. I mean, I have a text here. A kid with bad grades can't play, yet a convicted felon can. Um, yes, yes, that's exactly what the what the rule is. Jeff, where is your logic? Oh, yeah, it's common sense. That's one of our texts. You know, exactly. And I mean, I mean, the WIAA, the WIAA, I think, realizes how ridiculous this rule makes them look. So they're in the process of at least considering 
a change to their constitution which would make ineligible for any WIA tournaments a student athlete who is charged or convicted for a felony. Well, you would think, but of course, the, the way the WIA operates, it's like turning a giant ship. It takes years to get stuff done, so they're not going to consider this in time for this kid, and, and who knows what they're going to do moving forward. But right or wrong, I guess it is just stunning to me that you can be a convicted felon and can be participating in high school athletics. And I am sorry, you will never convince me that there are not double standards here and that if you weren't talking about, in this case, a a very, very talented and gifted basketball player, but rather somebody who... I don't know, didn't have skills, for example, that might lead to the NBA or to a college scholarship. I got to wonder whether this would be a completely different set of circumstances. Chris in New Berlin. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Good afternoon. What do you think? Um, I'm I'm a conservative. I'm a law and order type person here, but I'm actually disagreeing with you on this particular case. What do you think? Why? Well, the irony is not lost to me. It's because he is so good at basketball is the reason I would actually give him a, quote, second chance. Uh, you're taking away his entire possible future career, et cetera, if you were actually be able to go to college, get an education, and or go pro. If there's someone that was just casual player, that's just fun and you're out. But the caveat is suspension, fine, let him play, but you've got to keep on a very short leash on that probation. If you step out of line at all and don't show that you actually appreciate the second chance you're being given, you are out. Well, let me, but let me, ask you, let, me, let me ask you that. Let, let us say that you, you instead of talking about a, a star player, you're talking about a guy like me who had very, very limited athletic talent, right. okay? So I, I'm, I, whatever, however I was going to make my living, it wasn't going to be you know, playing basketball or baseball or anything like that. Are, are, are you saying that for me it would be okay to not let me play, but for the talented guy we, we make an exception for him? And that is the irony. That's pretty much what I'm saying. You're doing it for fun and kicks. Well, you should be out. But to take away an entire person's future possible career because he made a stupid mistake, that's mm-hmm. for the probation. You have to feel willing to jerk him back if he shows he doesn't appreciate the second chance, mm-hmm. which is huge. Well, okay, but let, let's work on that. So let's say my talent, I, I'm, I, my talent isn't going to be in basketball. It's not going to be athletics, but maybe. Maybe I've got the potential to be a lawyer, for example. Well, that felony conviction is probably going to keep me out of law school. Should we, should we forget about, should we forget about that? That felony conviction is probably going to limit me in all sorts of different ways. Is it fair to treat me like that, but again, give the athlete a special consideration? Well, the conviction's still there. The ramifications as far as what job you can or can't get, right. that play itself out. It's whether or not if you pull him in senior year, he doesn't get a chance to showcase himself. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get the college scholarship. He doesn't got to go pro. And basically, you're saying, okay, he's going to be a thug in the neighborhood with no future, and he's the next gangbanger. Well, well, to avoid that, it might be better to give him a second chance. As long as he really appreciates and understands, this is rare. You need to appreciate this, or we will yank you. Good enough. Okay, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. I'm sure that, and I get it. I that, I don't agree with you, but I think that's the argument. I. I, and I, I get that that's the argument that this this young man is something special. That was my four words. Learn how to dunk. So since you know how to dunk, we're going to be able to treat you in a different way. But I, I do wonder what does that say to all the other student athletes out there who are not convicted of felonies? You know, what does it say to them? And again, this this is a broader conversation because the truth of the matter is the the young man is being governed by the rules that were in place 
at the time that he you know, committed the crime and was subsequently convicted of the crime. So I understand that he gets to play. But my argument would be nobody similarly situated should ever, moving forward, be able to play. Jan in Sheboygan. Jan, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. I totally disagree with that last caller. I mean, how is it that if a student is an athlete, for instance, if you are school choice to a school and you decide to not go to that school anymore and go back to your home school, you are not going to be able to play. WIAA is going to prohibit you from playing for that only reason. My son is a high honor student. He, he was an uh, all-state athlete freshman and sophomore year. If he switched schools now, he would not be able to play right. varsity athletics. Right. I mean, that's, it's just ridiculous. I think that a message needs to be sent. You're basically saying, oh, you're special? Well, I... And you're above the law? No, you're not. There's consequences for people's actions, and they need to learn that. Well, I mean, I, I, think, I, mean, thanks, I guess I just keep going back to this idea of, of all right, somebody in high school who is convicted of a felony. And that's we're not even talking about charge now. We're talking about convicted of a felony and what I would consider to be a serious type of felony. And they're going to be continue. I guess I view extracurricular activities, whether it's band or debate or basketball. I view that as a privilege. And the idea that both at MPS and within the WIAA, apparently being a convicted felon, at least at this point in time, isn't enough to permanently disqualify you from high school athletics. What's wrong with that picture? 1220 HF Wagner, WTMJ. Thanks for participating in our Facebook Live. We do this every day, and you can go back and watch it at your leisure as well. 1220 HF Wagner, WTMJ. 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, here we go. What does Brewers manager Craig Council think about the 2018 season? What are his plans for the offseason? That and more when he goes one-on-one with Gene Miller tomorrow at 551 on Wisconsin's Morning News. Uh, in general, a great season, and I, I, I think Craig Council's probably a smart enough guy to look back at some of the decisions he made, particularly in Game 7, and recognize they didn't work out right, but that's okay. Uh, great season for the Brewers. All right. Since President Trump announced plans last week to pull the U.S. out of this arms control agreement that was signed in 1987 with Russia, I have been wanting to talk about this, but I've been trying to figure out a, a way to get into it that would make it, it interesting and participatory. Because I understand you say, oh, arms treaty, you know, people's eyes glaze over. Let me approach it this way. Bear with me for a second. Gru, you've, you, you've, have you ever had a dog walker? You probably never had a dog walker. Okay. I um, and, and I hate to use this analogy because I used to have a dog walker and she was great. So I mean, I, I, this is this is not a reflection of my dog walker. Astrid was was absolutely great. But um, let us imagine that you are in a situation where you're going to be gone during the day. It's just you, and you need to have somebody that's going to come in and walk your dog. All right. So the way this typically works is normally you pay someone to come in. And you agree on the amount of time. So, okay, you're going to spend 30 minutes with my dog, and here I'm going to pay you $25 or, or whatever that's. But that's the deal. 30 minutes or $25, take her out for take the dog out for a walk, you know, play with the dog a little bit, 30 minutes for 25 bucks. Okay, let's say that that's what your deal is. And so you're not at home, so you don't actually know what goes on. 
Um, so you don't know how much time the dog walker is spending. So let's say you come home one day and your next door neighbor is out and they say, Hey, you know, I, I saw your dog walker came over. We, uh, you know, she, she was, she took the dog out and they were playing with my son here. It's great. Seemed like a nice person. So that's great. I'm, what, I'm just kind of curious. What time did the dog walker get over there? Well, I got over about 1215 and yeah, she left about 1225. I'm thinking, oh, that, that's 10 minutes. Huh. They're supposed to be there for 30 minutes. So let's say then you then say to the neighbor, I'm just kind of curious. If you happen to be home, could, could you give me an idea of, you know, how much time the dog walker is spending? So you check in a week later and it turns out that instead of 30 minutes every day, the dog walker is spending 10 minutes a day. All right. So the dog's still getting walked, but not anywhere near as long as they should. So what do you do? as the person that's hired the dog walker. Well, on the one hand, you could just ignore it, say, you know, I'm not going to do anything. But, of course, if you do that, if you just ignore it, you know that that's going to be the way it is in the future. It's never going to be 30 minutes. It's just going to be 10 minutes. That's going to be how it works out. Or you could go to the dog walker and you could say, hey, I, I know that you know you haven't been there for 30 minutes because I'm being told that. I need you to do it for 30 minutes. Or you could just simply say, you know, you're supposed to be doing it for 30 minutes. You've only been doing it for 10 minutes. I'm sorry, I can't trust you. I'm going to, I'm going to go somewhere else. Now, which of those last two options you decide is up to you. Go somewhere else or see if you can, again, get the dog walker to do what they promised to do. But if you just do nothing, just ignore it, you know the situation isn't going to get better, right? Does that make sense? Everybody agree with that. Okay. That now brings me to President Trump. And arms control. Back in 1987, when the Soviet Union was getting ready to collapse, and one of the reasons that the Soviet Union collapsed, not the only reason, but one of the reasons that the Soviet Union collapsed and that places like I was at two years ago, two weeks ago, you know, Hungary, somehow moved into the, the 20th century with the fall of the Iron Curtain, was because they had this huge, the Soviet Union was doing a, a huge weapons buildup. And they were putting all this money into trying to build weapons and armies and things like that. And their economy essentially collapsed. All right. Well, there was a concern during the Cold War that Russia was assembling a number of short and mid-range ground-fired missiles, ballistic missiles and cruise missiles that could go between like, I don't know, 200 miles to like 2,000 miles, something like that. And, and the concern was these missiles were threatening all, all of Europe. So what happened is, in response to that, President Rago, Reagan and, and NATO deploy, deployed their own mid-range missiles in Europe to counter the Soviet deployments, you know, kind of that mutually guaranteed destruction. And after years of negotiations, Mikhail Gorbachev finally agreed to a treaty on the U.S. terms, which essentially traded the U.S.'s missiles for Russia missiles. U.S. would pull its missiles out. Russia would pull its missiles out. All right. That, that, that was the agreement, 1987. 1990, the Soviet Union collapses. The Iron Curtain comes down. And people start to forget about the, these ballistic missiles. But the treaty is still in place. Well, enter Vladimir Putin, who since the mid-2000s, has been developing mid-range cruise missiles for now the better part of 10 years. Wall Street Journal's talking about this today. 
U.S. believes Moscow first tested the new missile in 2008, but the Obama administration hid that intelligence from the Senate. 2014, the Obama administration noted that Russia had been non-complying with this, this arms agreement every year, and that in late 2016, they started deploying their new missiles. And they believe that they're testing other missiles that can travel even further. So the bottom line is, Russia, since the mid, mid, you know, since 2005 or so, has been in violation of this treaty. And for the last two or three years, they've been in open violation of it. They're deploying these missiles, contrary to, to the treaty. And everybody knows they're doing it. And nobody has done anything about it. So enter Donald Trump last week. And, and Trump says, all right, we're we're pulling out of this agreement because Russia has been violating the agreement and, and we're going to pull out of this agreement. And that would then give us the flexibility to do what what Russia is doing. And then we can at least decide whether we want to start building up, putting more missiles of our own back in Europe because we took them out. But Russia has been ignoring the, the treaty. So we're, we're going to essentially we're going to pull out and we're going to start doing our own thing because they're violating it. Kind of like you find out that the dog walker has only been walking the dog 10 minutes instead of the 30 minutes, and you say, I'm going to find somebody else. Okay, our, our deal is off. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. President Trump is being pounded for, for being a, a warmonger, and this is terrible, and you're going to get us into World War III and all that stuff by pulling out of this accord. My point is, if Russia isn't following this, and there doesn't appear to be any issue that Russia hasn't been following this accord for at least the last part of the, for at least a decade, and is now getting bolder and bolder to the extent that they are redeploying missiles, why in the world would the U.S. not pull out of this so that they could respond accordingly? When one party is violating the agreement to continue to bind yourself by it, seems to me to be ridiculous. Now, I am not arguing necessarily that this means that the U.S. should start rolling out, you know, mid-level cruise missiles in Europe. I, I, I don't know about that. But I do know that, at least in my opinion, it's ridiculous for the U.S. to continue to be bound by an arms control treaty that Russia is ignoring. Am I missing something? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, President Trump's getting all sorts of heat for being a warmonger. Oh, my gosh, how can you pull out of this agreement? Well, if Russia is not following the agreement, what is the sense of continuing to be bound by something? Why continue to pay the dog walker for 30 minutes if you know he or she's only walking your dog for 10? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? We discuss next. 1244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is an incredibly significant issue, but I, I understand it, it gets lost, and a lot of people just don't read it past the headlines. President Trump says he's going to pull out of this 1987 arms treaty that limited um, mid-range missiles in Europe. And, and the deal was... Russia agreed to, to stop deploying them and pull theirs out. The U.S. agreed that it would stop deploying them and they would pull theirs out. All right, that was fine. It was 1987. Soviet Union essentially collapsed. The Iron Curtain fell. Russia was an economic mess. Fine. Enter Vladimir Putin, who is trying to, again, build up the Russian arms position. 
And in the mid-2000s, everybody now agrees, he started developing new technology for new missiles in violation of this treaty, and he's been rolling out these missiles and deploying them in violation of the treaty since 2016. So President Trump says, all right, look, if if he's not going to abide by the treaty, then we're going to pull out of it. And you have people go, oh, my gosh, he's going to get us into World War III. Well, look, if somebody's not honoring their end of the agreement, you're foolish to say, okay, well, we're going to continue to be bound. Now, I don't know enough about it to say, does that mean that we should immediately start deploying missiles again? But to say that we promise we won't when the other side is violating it is insane. Matt in New Berlin. Matt, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Matt. Um, How you doing? I'm well, thank you. Am am I missing something on this one? (laughs) Well, I I think the point when when people argue that uh, the president is a war longer at this point. Those are really the allies of the Russians. And any agreement that's not honored on either side is not an agreement. Mm-hmm. I think it gives us an opportunity at this point to pull out thinking, hey, listen, it's not been honored. We are now going to have to relook at this situation. And I think from a, maybe a, a larger perspective, bringing China into this mm-hmm. They're not the only players. Russia's not the only player in this uh, world anymore. And this gives us an opportunity to go back in and say, here, we yeah. can renegotiate this to include the bigger players, uh, China, as well as Russia and ourselves. But until this thing is be evaluated and reconstructed, I think we need to do what uh, Vladimir Putin has uh, done and protect those people in Europe and around Yes, you know, Matt, th- thanks for calling. Sorry, your cell phone was breaking up a little bit, but you, you mentioned China and that that's really smart because China isn't a party to this agreement, and China has been developing its own medium-range missiles that are threatening U.S. naval deployments and the Pacific bases. And so, I, I mean, here here's the idea. I mean, the Wall Street Journal actually makes this point. They say today, why would the U.S. tie its hands against China in order to abide by a 30-year-old treaty that only the U.S. is honoring? It's just the world has changed. Putin is ignoring this. He is in violation of it. China is emerging as a threat. Why? Why would you have this sort of unilateral disarmament? Again, I'm I'm not saying that necessarily what you want to do is you might now want to start deploying, you know, mid-range ballistic missiles or cruise missiles, you know, all across Europe or whatever. I'm not arguing that, but I think you have to leave that on the table instead of being bound by a treaty that no one else is following. Jeff in Wauwatosa. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yeah, once again, we're in a catch-22, you know. He's darned if he does, darned if he doesn't. Right. But I think we need more people, more other countries to get involved before, you know, say it's unilateral. Um, but, you know, um, given what's going on with these politics, um, right. there's probably other topics that are more... Um, concerning because this is a problem of past presidents, and that's the problem with the system. You look at uh, Obama taking credit for the the business or the job. Growth. Well, well, Jeff, let me stop you there. I, 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 thanks for calling. I mean, I don't want to get too far off of point here. The the reality is that President Obama knew early on in his administration that Russia was not honoring the, these agreements. 
and and didn't want to necessarily rock the boat. He chose to look the other way. The interesting irony to me is uh, you've got all these people saying, "Well, you know, Trump is in bed with Putin. This is you, you've got all this Russian stuff. There, there. Look, there. Look what's going on here." And you have Trump, who is at least in this area, being the only person who's willing to kind of talk tough and and actually say, "Look, I, I'm not going to be taken advantage of here, you know, by Russia." Now, you know, you you asked, uh, "What are what are other people doing?" Um, at least in, in Britain, you know, they're saying that, you know, Russia's in breach and that Russia needs to get its house in order. So I, I think, I mean, here's, here's just the bottom line of this. I, people see this headline. Oh my gosh, there's Donald Trump. He's going to get us into World War III. No, I think what Donald Trump is doing is by taking these steps, recognizing that Russia is not behaving honorably and is not honoring the treaty. What he's doing is he is perhaps protecting us from getting into World War III because when you've got somebody like Putin, if you allow him to get some degree of military superiority, well, then he does you know, threaten Western Europe, and we're back to where we were 25 years ago. All right, when we come back, some new numbers are out about the upcoming midterm elections. They are actually not great news for Republicans nationally, but pretty darn good news for Republicans in Wisconsin. I'll share them with you in just a minute. Stick around. It's 1254. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1237. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, here's the deal. There's 435 members of the House of Representatives. Right now, uh, Republicans have 241 seats. Democrats have 194 seats. That means what happens is that the Democrats have to flip 24 seats to take control, and Nancy Pelosi, God help us, becomes again the Speaker of the House of Representatives. All right, so we will know two weeks from today how that all turns out. Um, uh, New York Times has this thing they call it 538, which is this breakdown that they have been doing for quite a while, and it's an interesting statistical thing. It tends to tends to have more accuracy than some of the polls do. And what they've been doing is they've been going district by district by district. The new estimate that's out there says that Democrats have an 85% chance of taking control of the House of Representatives, 85% chance. And their, their best estimate is they think the Democrats are going to pick up in the neighborhood of 40 seats, which would be enough to give them control. All right, that that's fine. What they do, though, is, and this is what's interesting, and again, you, you can take it with a grain of salt because it's some of these polls are right and some aren't, but what they do is they break down, again, district by district and state by state, and, and they've got Wisconsin, and they take a look at Wisconsin to decide you know, how these different races are, and it's interesting. We have five Republican congressmen and three Democratic seats. Here's what they say. They have Mike Gallagher, who is the congressperson from Green Bay. They've got him having an 80% chance of, of being reelected. Jim Sensenbrenner, um, they have Jim Sensenbrenner is having a, let's see, the odds are um, 58 in 60, almost you know guaranteed that he's going to be reelected. Brian Stile, four in five chance to beat the ethically challenged Randy Bryce. Glenn Grothman, who, of course, is receiving a challenge from Dan Cole, they say that Grothman has a 75% chance of winning. So the four Republican incumbents all, if you believe these numbers, in good shape, uh, style in a very good position to beat Randy Bryce, 
which would be a very, very important victory. And the three Democrats who currently hold seats, Pocan, Gwen Moore, and Ron Kine, they're all overwhelming favorites to win election in their district. So regardless of what happens in the state and nation, it, at least if you believe this analysis, Wisconsin Republicans are in good shape in Congress. The other thing to keep in mind is if that's how it plays out, if Republican candidates do well in Congress, I think that bodes very, very well for Governor Scott Walker. 1259, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 108, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, Mega Millions tonight? Do you have your ticket already? I do not have my ticket yet, but I admit I will stop and get gas today and pick up a ticket. You're going to, okay. Yes. Do you need gas or are you going to be stopped? <laughs> no, no, sir, no. I mean, I'm serious. Are you, are you going to be... Are you are you going to get gas because it gives you an excuse to go in and buy the lottery I ticket? I could probably go another day without it, but yes, I'm getting gas a little early so I can go pick up the ticket. All right, okay, Gru, who's producing the show, you 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 pl- you don't play the lottery, right? You just think you think those those people who want to win like three hundred uh, like a billion dollars and stuff, they're just they're chumps. Not necessarily chumps. You just don't want to buy one. Okay. Yeah, well, the odds aren't really good. One in 302 yes. million. But, mm-hmm. you know, actually people say the odds are, you know, the the odds are about the same as getting struck by lightning. No, no, no. You are much more likely to get struck <laughs> by lightning than you are to, to win the lottery. Yeah. I am... Um, I'm on the seriously. I, I'm a variation of you. If I needed gas and I happened to be in the gas station and I happened to think of it, I would pick it up. Mm-hmm. But I don't. And I was just planning on going right. I, my guess is I'm probably not going to okay. buy them. But I, I don't know. I, I I could just have one of these impulses on the way home, stop off somewhere, pick up a ticket, and then. You know, somebody in uh, southeastern Wisconsin wins. It could be me. Huh? You know, everything I hear, though, is if you win, it's terrible. That your life is over and you forever are dealing with guilt and people trying to come after your money and you're dealing with uh, everything. Everyone becomes your friend all of a sudden and it's a lot of hardship. Well, I'd I'd be, well, I I, I, I tell you, there wouldn't be any guilt. (laughs) There might be a lot of things in my life that I feel guilty about. (laughs) Guilt would not be, would be not be factoring into this. I get, so I crossed that one off. Now, now people coming out of the woodwork and asking you for money and stuff, but I, that's, if you, if you win all that money, Money, you can hire people to deal with that. That yeah, would be right. that would kind of be it. But um, no, okay. So we'll we'll see. Well, good luck to you. Well, if you. if it can't be me, you know, I I'm, I'm pulling for you. Just remember remember your friends. I would be one of those guys, kind of mooching, saying, "Hey, Eric, you know, <laughs> I I you know I I've always wanted a Learjet. Come on, buddy. You know, you can you can sell it out there. Jeff, who? Yeah, who Jeff, who? Know? That's right. I worked with this guy for like 15, 18 years or whatever. But I don't know. In any event, if you play the lottery, best of luck to you. I my guess is I'm not going to be competing with you that's kind of my guess unless i happen to stop off somewhere so all right i want to switch gears we got a lot of stuff we're going to be talking about in this hour including bernie sanders was in town yesterday trying to gin up a youth vote i always call it an, a youth quake and you know every election year we we were told oh this is going to be the year that the the gen xers and the millennials are going to come out and vote in record numbers and it never turns out to be that case we'll talk about that in a couple minutes but i want to start off with with um a story that is perhaps more more personal for for many of us and it's certainly appropriate given that we're on the verge of of the holiday shopping season i think there is a special place in you know where for people who use without authority or permission use take take parking spaces handicapped or disabled parking spaces i i just i i there i i always shake my head 
when I drive past one of these things and I see a car that doesn't have a tag or doesn't have, you know, the sticker on it. And I'm thinking, all right, what what are these people doing? Now, I understand they want the convenience of being able to park up close. I just, and maybe this is whatever moral compass I have, I, I couldn't do that. You know, years ago, I told the story, my, my late wife, she, she broke her leg. And um, she had, you know, one of those limited disabled parking stickers because she had she broken her ankle and you know couldn't get around and it was valid for x amount of time well whenever we would go to the grocery store and like i would drive and she'd be in the front seat because i was with her i i had the right i could use i could legitimately and legally park in the disabled parking space i couldn't do it so what i would always do is i would drop her off at the at the front door and, you know, make sure that she was settled. And she was on crutches and stuff. I'd, I'd make sure that she was settled. And then I'd, I'd go and I'd park wherever I would normally park and I'd walk. And then when we got done with shopping, I'd bring the car up. Because even though we were legitimately entitled to use that disabled parking space, I kept feeling I, I don't I don't need it. I'm entitled to it, yes, but I don't need it. And there's going to be somebody that comes along who, who might need it more than me. And that, that was just the, the way that that's just the way I am. And I'm sure it's the way that, that you are perhaps as well. Anyhow, there, there's a lot of people who don't pay attention to that. They just decide to park wherever they want. Okay, fine. Then there's a special group of disabled space violators that have an extra special room in you-know-where that is reserved for them. And those are the people who are the cheats, the people that use other people's handicapped or disabled parking placards. You know, mom, you know, mom has a disabled sticker or mom has that disabled, you know, hanger. Well, mom doesn't need it. But what I'm going to do, mom doesn't even drive anymore. I'm going to take mom's placard and I'm going to drive down and I'm going to park. I'm going to park on the street in Milwaukee at the parking meter and go to work. And I'm going to hang that tag on my window because then I can park at the meter all day long or I, you know, I, I've got this, I've got the sticker that belonged to Uncle Fred. Uncle Fred passed away, well, you know, uh, a month or two ago. I'm going to take the sticker. I'm going to use it. You know, the, the people who, who use other people's stickers so they can park there. Well, what got me thinking about this is there's a story in the Chicago Tribune about th- this police officer in Oak Brook, Illinois, which is kind of like a northern suburb. And, he noticed that there was a lot of this stuff going on, and so, at particular, particularly at there's a, apparently there's there's a Costco in Oak Brook, Illinois, that's big parking lot, and it's attached to like a larger sort of mall that's there. And he noticed that there were a lot of cars that were parked in the disabled parking spaces, and he started to notice that there were people who got out of the cars and didn't appear to be disabled. Now, let me stop there. I understand that you can't judge a book by a cover, and I understand that that's not necessarily an indicator, and somebody, you you never know what it is necessarily that makes somebody disabled. But what he started doing is he started, like, running checks, okay, like running the license plate, and then he was able to tell that the sticker you know, didn't correspond with the license plate, et cetera, et cetera. And he was finding that this was happening on an alarming percentage of times where the people who were using the disabled parking stickers, yes, they had them or the hangers or whatever, but they weren't disabled. And these were ones that they had, again, gotten from somebody else and were using them so they could park up close. So what he started doing 
is he's created his own cottage industry of writing tickets. And the story in the Chicago Tribune talks about how um, he's written, for example, in a July, August, September, October, in a four-month period, you know, he, he's written over 45 tickets, citations, $600 a piece. So it's a nasty fine for people who are falsely using these disabled placards. Actually, parking in the disabled spot without a sticker is only like a $250 fine, but falsely using somebody else's is a $600 fine. And there's a big story about this in the Chicago Tribune, and some people are saying, oh, this guy is just wasting his time. You know, what's the big deal about it? And his point is, look, I I mean, if you know somebody who's disabled and they can't find a place to park, and you find all these people who are parked in the spots, and they are using placards that don't belong to them, well, they deserve everything they get. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, for one, would like to see this be enforced more aggressively. And I understand that there's all sorts of things that police have to do. And I, and, and I get it. I understand that there's priorities and all. But I will tell you, I happen to believe, and I have to believe, that this is something that happens a lot. That there are a certain subgroup of people out there who decide that, all right, I've got access to one of these, and so I'm going to use it. And again, I'm not talking about the people, I'm not talking about the husband who is driving with the wife, and the wife has the sticker, so as long as the two of you are together, you get to use it. I'm talking about, I don't know, the son or the daughter whose father is disabled and doesn't drive much anymore. He's got the ticket, the sticker. You're using that so you can park up close. Candidly, anybody who does that to me deserves what they get, and I would love to see more tickets be written because I am convinced that this is a huge problem. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you support a crackdown on things like this? Because my sense is, and maybe it's just anecdotal, but my sense is this is one of the greatest areas of abuse that's, that's out there people misusing these disabled parking stickers. Let's start with Mike downtown. Mike, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Uh, You hit the the nail right on the head on this thing. I I work downtown, and, you know, I'm hearing the mayor talking about raising parking rates. If you uh, just walk around the downtown area, you'll see about 40% of the cars have a handicap placard, and they can park there all day. They don't have to pay for parking, and and it's, it's free handicap parking, and the... Other thing is, if you look at these vehicles, I'm guessing about 50% of them are big SUVs. They're Tahoes. They're, you know, they're, uh, a lot of them would step up uh, right. into them. And it's just, it just drives me nuts. I know that, and I see people getting out, and I know there's sales reps and other things for some of the businesses that they, and they just pull up, they get the placard, they park, they go in and they do their sales bit, and then they leave. Uh, but, you know, I see vehicles there parked all day long. Well, you know, it's with, interesting, uh, Mike, because I, 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 I want to say the TV station was Channel 4 a number of years ago, but it could have been one of the others. I, I don't recall. But they, they analyzed this, and what they found was precisely to your point. They were, I think, around the, the state office building, you know, downtown on, like, what, 5th and Wells in there, and, and they found the same thing you talked about, you know, all these cars that are parked all day at the meters, and they were able to tie a lot into workers, you know, people who, you know, they, they, they've got mom's disabled parking sticker and they don't want to pay for parking or walk a few blocks. So they just park in a meter, put that up there and stay all day. 
And and I got to believe that goes on all the time. Yeah, and I know a few years ago they were talking about changing the, the law to say um, you could park with a handicapped parking placard, but you get the two hours that, that everyone else can only park there for two hours. Right. And um, so you get two hours of free parking, and then after that you can get a ticket. And I, I don't think that was ever changed. Right. If no. they did that, I think you would get rid of a lot of people who – abuse these and just park wherever they want all day long. Right. And and they're, and they're not their tickets. No, thanks for calling. No, and again, I got I got to think through I got to think that through as to, you know, whether or not if you if you've got a disabled parking sticker legitimately should you be able to stay there all day? But I mean, I, I the one thing I think everybody can agree on is the extent that you've got, for example, we'll use your downtown office workers who are parking at these meters all day using a parking placard that doesn't belong to them. They are, they are a special kind of pond scum. And you know, you've always got like the, the crusty ground, brown stuff on the top of the pond. And then you've got that squishy green stuff at the bottom of the pond. I'm sorry. If you are doing this, you are that squishy green stuff at the bottom of the pond. We continue the conversation in just a moment. 414-799-1620. I love this story because to me, I, I'm glad that at least one of these police officers has made this his private mission to identify people who are parking when they're using, you know, false parking placards and, and write tickets. And I got no sympathy for them at all. 121, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 124, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Mike in Pleasant Prairie. Mike, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my yes, call. Yes, sir. I'm a police officer, and I'm married to a lady who has since developed muscular dystrophy. Mm-hmm. So she, when we go to the store, it annoys me to no end. We see people parked in the handicapped spot, and they've always got an excuse. I'm only going to be here for a minute. Right. Well, nobody else was parked here. And I just wanted to thank you for talking about this topic, because as someone who deals with it professionally at work, and I'm I'm a heavy hitter on parking uh, for <laughs> right. handicap violations, you know. Um, right. Not as, not as many as some, but probably more than most cops. And, you know, the, to see people who abuse this, I agree with you 100%. They're scum. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, you, and my guess is you see it all the time. My guess is you see I it do. all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I do. And, uh, you know, my wife doesn't abuse it. In fact, there are days when we go spec shopping and she'll tell me, I feel pretty strong today. I don't need the space. Right. Save it for somebody else and we'll walk into the store. Right. And, you know, I really admire her for that. But, right. But no, what people don't understand is for the people who need it, they really need it. That, that, and, 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 and everybody else should be thanking our lucky stars or whatever God we pray to that we're in a position where we can walk a little bit further, that we don't have the disability that we're having to deal with. Yeah, and exactly what you said about some people, it's not immediately evident because it doesn't yeah. show, you know, that's, that's with my wife. Right, interesting. So, well, no, th- thanks for call, Mike. And again, that, that's why you have to be careful. But I, here would be an interesting thing. For, for our, our, our new police chief in the city of Milwaukee, my guess is there are certain areas where people work, state office building, area around City Hall, etc. My guess is on any given day, you will, as our first caller was talking about, find a certain percentage of the, the parking meters that are, are filled with people who have the disabled parking tags. I think it would be interesting to deploy a police officer or a parking checker, Tom Barrett, uh, police to to actually see if you can match up the license plate with the disabled parking sticker. Find out who this belongs to, because my guess is, I don't know, 25 percent, 30 percent, I don't know, 50 percent, you're going to find that there is abuse. And then when you find out that there's abuse, you should be writing tickets and these things should be taken away or maybe revoked or whatever. Because when, like I say, people need them, 
They really need them. Neil in West Dallas. Neil, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Yeah, Hello. my wife is sick, and she's in a wheelchair. And we go shopping, and she's pretty weak. And I've already had to park way in the back of the parking lot to be able to open up my door mm-hmm. to get her in the wheelchair while other people without license plates or a placard are parked in a handicap spot. Right, right. And I'll tell you, what he just talked about with the last previous caller, he hit the nail right on the head. All municipalities, West Dallas, wherever, Tosa, Milwaukee, they should have a parking checker. Somebody go out and match these plates. You got plates, that means you're legitimate. Right. But I think they abuse these placards to no end. I agree with you. I agree with you completely. No, thank, and, and, you know, you see that, and, again, you, you see this all the time. Now, I, I think sometimes if you've got the disabled plates, uh, it, it's tougher to track down if, you know, you're driving mom's car to work and she's got the plate and you decide to go in. But the placards, it's a little bit easier. I have a note here from Bob says, I know people, a parent passed away and the family fought over the disabled parking sticker. I mean, who who does this type of stuff? I mean, if if you want to, I'm sorry, it's topics like this that frustrate me about the human condition because I basically think we're, <clears throat> I basically think people are good, and then you do stories like this and you hear stories about this, and it just kind of makes you wonder. But the 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 bottom line is, if if you're healthy enough so that you don't need that disabled parking sticker. Again, you, you should. it's great. It's great that you have the ability to walk across the parking garage. But watch, this is going to happen more, because, again, we get into the holiday season, and I think there, there's people who abuse this now. My guess is it increases. Uh, this guy in Chicago who's writing tickets in this one parking lot a lot, I, I say more power to him. I would like to see more aggressive of these things as well. 128, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 136, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let me just add one thing about the trip that, that we just did the advertisement for. The um, it, it, it is filling up extremely quickly. As a matter of fact, if you go to the Fox World Travel site, you'll see this thing on that trip. It, it says sold out. What, what that means, what they tell me that means is the initial allotment of cabins that Fox World Travel reserved for that trip is sold out. But there, there, there are other cabins. I just don't know how many that they might be able to get from the, the cruise ship thing. But the bottom line of this is if you're, if you are thinking about going and we had a great time, we had a great time on our trip just a couple weeks ago. I don't delay because it, it is, like I say, it's, it's filling up extremely quickly. So, um, don't delay if you've been thinking about going on that cruise and we hope to see you next September. All right. Bernie Sanders was in town yesterday, rally at UWM. Um, I was talking to one of my colleagues. Matter of fact, Jane, I'm going to call up my, my, my friend and colleague, Jane Matinair. She was down there covering it. And I, I was talking to her a little bit yesterday. And the purpose of Bernie Sanders being here was to try to turn out the vote. He's at UWM trying to get young people to, to vote. And for whatever reasons, there there is this appeal, I guess, to some some of the millennials and the Gen X people have this appeal of socialism, the idea of something for nothing, and and so guys like Bernie Sanders think that you know their message will resonate with with younger people, and so that they're out there trying to like turn out the vote. And I was talking to Janie a little bit, and she said, "Well, I, I was I don't know if any of this made the air, but she was telling I, I was doing these interviews with these UWM students, and I was saying, are you going to vote? You're going to vote?" and she said it was just kind of frustrating because one after another we're kind of saying, well, I don't know, maybe kind of depends on what's going on. And uh, 
I don't know. I don't know that much about the the candidates and all. And of course, now everybody, of course, everybody walks around with this thing in their hand that we call a cell phone, which is really like a personal computer. So with just a couple keystrokes, you can figure out, you know, pretty much anything you need to know about any candidate. But it's it's too much trouble for the young people. Now I, I bring this up because I have been I have been doing a radio show at WTMJ for more than twenty years now. Every time we we run into an election season whether it's a presidential election or whether it, it is a midterm, we have the same conversation. It's this is going to be the year that that you, you have what I call a youth quake. You know, you have uh, this is going to be the year that young people are mobilized to get out and, and vote. And I, I hear that every year. They had somebody, I don't know if it was a guy from Marquette or something, was on the morning news this morning, and he was saying, oh, this is going to be the year. Well, it, it, I hear that every time, and it, and it never turns out to be the case. Um, let me give you the numbers. Uh, the last, let me see, the 2014 midterm election, all right? So let's try to compare apples to apples. Only 39% of Gen Xers who were eligible turned out to vote. Um, only 22% of millennials turned out to vote. So one in five or a little bit less than 30%. Younger people just don't vote. At least they don't vote in the numbers that that older people vote. And I, there, there's all sorts of explanations. Maybe it's the idea that you know, and you, you just don't. You got other things on your mind. You know, you're 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 worried about the stuff that you're worried about when you're 21 years old, which is you know where how, how am I going to do in school, or you know what am I going to do on Friday night, or where I'm going to where am I going to go to you know, meet my future partner or whatever that is. And, and at a certain point in time, maybe, you know, once you get settled and you buy a house and you start to have kids, you start to focus on some of the other issues. Gee, I'm paying a lot of taxes and things like that. That's kind of the natural evolution. But the, the argument is, and I've been hearing this a lot, that this is what's going to lead the blue wave. You're going to have young people that are going to vote in record numbers this time, and that most of them are going to vote Democrat. That That's kind of the, the argument that's going on now. Now, as we get closer to the election, and they're starting to look at early voting and some of these things, some people are starting to say, well, maybe we were overly ambitious. All right, I want to open up the phone lines. Our numbers are 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, are we going to see a youth quake? Is this the year... Where, I don't know, people under the age of 30, for example, come out and vote in record numbers. Maybe I'm going to be proved wrong, but I just, I don't see it. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess in particular, if you're 30 or under, I would be particularly interested in talking to you about whether... You're planning to vote. And by the way, don't be embarrassed if you say you're not going to vote. That's that's a choice that people make. Now, if you're listening to this program, my guess is you're probably much more likely to vote, but that that's okay. But, you know, 30 or under, do you intend to vote? And how about your friends? Are they going to all turn out and vote as well? Or if you're going to vote, are you kind of the outlier? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Gru is lining up the calls. We're back to discuss in just a moment. 141, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
145, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We hear all this talk about a blue wave, and one of the things that it is based on is the fact that you've got younger people, particularly 18 to 34, who tend to vote more liberal, more Democrat, and the, the, the thinking is going to be a record turnout this time, and that's going to help swing some of these elections. Now, here's the reality. Voters aged 18 to 34 have cast ballots at far lower rates than any other age group in every midterm election for the last 40 years. 2014, fewer than one in four young adults voted. That was the last midterm election. Is this going to be different? Dawson in Milwaukee. Dawson, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, the reason I called, uh, I'm 27, uh, so kind of the age range you were looking for in the call. Right. Uh, personally, I do not see the blue wave everyone is talking about in the mainstream happening. Um, however, I do see a lot of people my age, maybe one or two years younger, going out to vote. But then when you get from 25 to 18, I don't see those kind of age group people taking the, st- the steps necessary to a, either register and vote, get a ballot ID to go vote, and take that next step to get their vote cast and counted. Why do you think that is? Um, well, it's just like, you know, you see kids not wanting to get jobs nowadays. They want to be lazier and feed off their parents. I think it's just a laziness issue and, uh, Mm kind of, I don't want to take that step, even though Mm -hmm. I'll talk about taking that step kind of thing. You know, it's more talking to talk than walking to walk. Okay. You said you're 27. When did you first start voting? Uh, I was 18. Okay. Um, I voted... For the governor's election in 2010. Okay, okay so you, you so you've been a consistent voter since you had the right since you had the opportunity to do it. Yeah, yeah, me too. No, thanks for the call, appreciate. Me, me too. But the, the, I mean, I I think I've certainly voted in every presidential election since I was able to, and I, I voted in in almost all the elections. There might be some local primary that I didn't vote in, but. You, you you can actually check your voting records, and you'd have to go back a long way to find an election that I didn't show up and vote in. 414-799-1620. Lucy on the west side. Hi, Lucy. Hi there. Um, I've been canvassing our neighborhood, so I have a little bit of data, and I'm, I'm disappointed that if the young people are connected to a political family, they're going to vote. Mm-hmm. But if they're not, um, first of all, a lot of them don't know there's an election. They don't watch the TV and listen to the radio with all the ads on it. And they're, they're in a different but, but, but still, they've got this thing in their hand called a phone that links them up to this thing called the Internet. And I, how, can you even go, how can you go on Facebook or, or Twitter or whatever and not realize there's an election coming up? Well, it depends on who your Facebook friends are. I guess um, so. But they, I, one kid actually looked at me and said, I don't vote. And I said, you what? It's important, and his girlfriend said, "I'll talk to him later." And so I ended up, I ended up shouting, "Hey, weeds on the ballot!" Yeah, yeah right. Well, that, yeah, that's it here. Yeah, that, that's exactly. It, it, there's a referendum on pot here. Turn out to vote. <laughs> but that, like I said, there will be a youth turnout, but it's mostly young people who have been connected to politics all right. of their lives through their families or organizations that they're in. Um, people don't even know what. First of all, people think that we elect the king or queen in terms of president, and they don't get that the other elections really, really are important. Yeah, and this is a midterm. Well, Trump's not up for a couple of years. That is kind of scary, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we don't teach civics anymore, but that's 
Okay, thanks. Got it. Thanks for the call. Yeah, that's, that's a larger issue. Well, I, and again, I mean, I just, I, I just, I, I hear all this, and and see one of the things, and and there, there will be if I do this show long enough. I understand that there's going to be an election at some point in time that I'm going to be wrong on because I, I but seriously, for 20 years, I've been hearing that this is, this is the youth quake. This is the year where, you know, there, there's going to be the, this huge turnout and you're going to have the, this young wave and it never materializes. Now, now maybe two weeks from today, that's going to be what happened. I don't think so. And so one of the reasons I am skeptical about some of the projections is a lot of them, uh, again, are going to assume and assume that there's going to be this extraordinary turnout, that this is going to be something different, and you're going to have all these young people who love Bernie Sanders and, and love the idea of socialism and hate Donald Trump, and they're going to be motivated to turn out. And, and I confess, I just I, I don't see it. Maybe I will end up being wrong, but I, I don't see that happening. And, and it, in some respects, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, because I – when I have an opportunity to speak to college groups or things like that, that's one of the questions I ask is, you know, do people go out and vote? And, you know, Lucy is absolutely correct. To me, the, the big indicator of, of youth, young people voting, it, it's, it's just like seatbelt usage. If mom and dad wear seatbelts, young people wear seatbelts. If you grow up and your experience is, okay, get in the car, fasten the seatbelt before we're going anywhere, well, you tend to do that when you become a driver. I think the same thing is true with, with voting. I can remember when I was a kid, my parents always voted, and they made a big deal of it. My dad would come home from work, and what they would do is my parents would get together, and they'd bundle me and my brother up in the car, and they would drive out, and they, they would vote, and then we'd go out to dinner or something like that. But it was, I mean, I can remember going to the polling places with them, and and that was it. It was. I grew up with the idea that, of course, you are going to vote. If you grow up in families where that's not the case, well, then you know you, you've got to kind of change that behavior. Here's an email I have, text I have from Courtney. I'm 29, and I have voted in nearly every election I've been able to. I will admit I have missed a few primaries, but anything major I have for everyone, even in college. I registered to my dorm to vote for my first presidential election for Obama's first election. I voted in all the presidential elections since, um, and the recall, et cetera, et cetera. It's, there, there are people out there who do this, again, all the time. There's no question about it. I don't see that this is going to be the election that, that motivates the people to, to show up. Again, could could be wrong. It's good that Bernie Sanders is here. I understand he's trying to register voters and get people out there to turn out to vote. We we will see in two weeks. But for people who are predicting a massive youth quake, um, I think they're going to be wrong. 152, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 155, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. As we've been discussing, the holidays right around the corner. And WTMJ is back with our annual holiday radio show. This will be the fourth year we have done this. WTMJ this year presents The Night Before Christmas, starring Gene Miller, Jane Matinere, yours truly, and a sleigh full of Wisconsin celebrities from Turner Hall in downtown Milwaukee on Monday, November 26th at 6.30. The live radio play will be recorded in front of a studio audience, and we want you... To be part of it, buy tickets now. Go to WTMJ.com or text the word Christmas to 414-799-1620. Now, I, again, I, I always, I, sometimes people listen to me, they, they think I'm like over, over hyping this thing. Here, here is the reality. And we have, 
We have three years of experience in. When I say the tickets go quickly, I mean the tickets go quickly. Typically, we sell out within two to three weeks. And, and that, because there, there's a limited number of space. And then inevitably what happens is I, I will have people who will contact me like a week before the show and say, Jeff, you know, we, we know you're saying it's sold out, but you guys are just kidding. Really? You, you got a whole bunch of tickets. Well, the, the truth of the matter is that I, I don't have a ticket genie in my back pocket that I can pull out and they can crank out 10 tickets. Bottom line is we, we, and I know there's a lot of, of you who, who've been, who go regularly and all. And again, I'm, I'm not trying to overhype it. I'm just stating the reality. This is an event. The tickets are very reasonably priced. They're $25 a piece. $5 go from each one goes to charity. They're, they're, it's just a fun event. I think what we've seen is a lot of people that went the first year, enjoyed it, came back the second, came back the third year, made kind of an evening of it. I know, um, just a, a number of, it's it, one of the things I love about it is a number of the people who've been regular attendees or like my high school debate coach, Ron comes down from Appleton for the last couple of years, brings his wife along. Sue. It, it's just, it's just a great chance to, to see a lot of people. So I, I, I cannot stress enough that this isn't just a promotional sort of thing. This event sells out and when the tickets are gone, they're gone. So if you're thinking you might want to go again, it's Monday night, November 26th. My recommendation would be just buy the tickets. And if you decide that you can't go, trust me, they will be in demand. You won't have any trouble giving them a friend who would like to use them as well. But um, it's always fun. This year, it's the night before Christmas. All right, Gru, who is producing the show. You a fan of um, Ed Sheeran? Gru? We're talking to you. Ed Sheeran, the guy who's playing tonight at Miller Park? Are you a fan of his? You No, you're not. Melissa, you a fan? I am a fan. You are a fan. Yeah, okay. do you got some tickets you want to give me? No, just <laughs> no, just like just just like how I don't I don't have the ticket genie for the holiday oh, shopping okay. thing. I, I don't have this. I, but you know, you are of course aware of the controversy I involving was. this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and I mean, for people who aren't familiar with this, the, the concert was originally scheduled for for Tuesday. Um, they're they're expecting forty thousand people at, at Miller Park. This is a big deal, and I mean, I. And what happened was because the Brewers advanced to Game Seven of the World of the National League Championship Series, they they didn't have enough turnaround time to to get the concert ready for um, to get the concert ready for Tuesday because this is apparently some huge show and you've got to you know do all this load in and all. So what they had to do is they had to move the concert back to tomorrow, Wednesday night. Now, as somebody who goes to lots and lots of concerts, this happens occasionally that, that things need to be rescheduled. And it's always when it happens, it's a pain in the butt because, you know, maybe you made a rain, maybe you, you decided, Hey, I'm going to come in from out of town. I'm going to fly in from Nashville, Tennessee because I'm a huge fan. I want to go see the show and you've made arrangements and then all of a sudden it gets moved. And so it doesn't work for you. I, I appreciate that, that that's the issue. At the same time, there's a lot of people that are just, I think, unreasonably upset about this. If you want to criticize... It's 208. This is Jeff Wagner, WPMJ. There's a fascinating story in, in the Journal Sentinel that to some, a certain extent, it is a first world problem. But on the other hand, I, I think it's really interesting as to where the rights of, of a homeowner where they end and where the rights of, say, other members of the community come into place. And, and it comes from 
my, my former community of Whitefish Bay. I lived in Whitefish Bay for 30 years, loved Whitefish Bay, a- absolutely loved it. My dealings with City Hall were, were almost uniformly positive. I, I lived in an older home that was in the National Register of Historic Homes, and there, there was there was always work that needed to be done. If you wanted to try to do upgrades and stuff, I found the city to be very, very good to work with. So I, I, I have personally no bad experiences at, at all. But there are people in that community and in other communities, especially citizens who get on these boards, and, well, they they, they take their missions seriously. So here here's the story. There, there's a guy who lives in a house on Lake Drive, and he's apparently he, he owns like 42 Popeyes restaurants. I don't know him. Owns like 42 Popeyes restaurants around the country, and, and what he does is he, he bought this house in Lake. Uh, he, he bought a house on Lake Drive, and it was an older house in disrepair. He went through a couple year fight, I guess, with the village, ultimately got permission to tear down that house, built a new house. All right. So he's got this house. There's a house next door to his house. And they call it um it's interesting because the, these big houses in Whitefish Bay, they always name them like after the the first owner or something like this. So this is a house. It's called the Herman Real House, who was the, the first owner. So it's a house in, in Whitefish Bay. Um, it was built in 1928 by uh, a famous architect. All right. Um, it is not in the, let me see, it's not in the National Register of Historic Places, but it, it is recognized by the Whitefish Bay Historic Preservation. It has been designated as, a, as an historic site, primarily, I assume, because of the architect. So anyhow, the guy owns this, this one house on Lake Drive. He has purchased this other house which is next door. He paid $1.65 million for this house back in 2016. That is why I say this is kind of a first world problem. So she buys this house for $1.65 million. The problem is that this 1928 house is, it's just, it's very difficult to, to live in because apparently it hasn't been kept up well over the years. It's got a, a boiler system that dates back to the 1950s that doesn't heat the upstairs. It's got single-pane windows that leak air and need to be replaced. There's no air conditioning. Apparently, the plumbing is a mess. Lots of the plumbing is rusted shut. The electrical system is shot. Many of the outlets and light fixtures don't work. The house has a leaky foundation, which has caused flooding and mold in the basement. So in other words, you've got this, this 1.65 million, he paid 1.65 million for the, the thing, but the, the house is a mess. They estimate that it would take about a million dollars, maybe more, to really make the house livable, right? The other problem is the way the house is situated on the lot, it, it doesn't have many views of the lake. It's on this, this, I mean, it's on, it is on a lot which abuts to Lake Michigan. But normally when you have those houses, they run side to side. So you get like several, several rooms that have a view of the lake. This one is at a 90 degree angle. So you only have maybe one or two rooms that, that come to the lake. What you really need to do is it needs to be rotated like 90 degrees. In other words, you got a $1.65 million house that before it could really be livable in any meaningful fashion needs at least a million dollars. And what the guy says is, hey, even if I put a million dollars in, 
So then I've got like two and a half million dollars in the three million. I'd never be able to sell it for that because it's not, it doesn't have a view of the lake. Like, I mean, like you would normally do. So what he wants to do is he wants to tear, tear it down. He says, look, it, it's got all these problems. I, I want to tear it down. Apparently what happens is the guy says a, a member of the Milwaukee Bucks has come in and wants to buy the house that he lives in now. So he's like, okay, I, 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 I'll sell this guy on the Bucks my house. I will, I'll move into this lot next door, but I want to tear down this old house that really has all these problems. I mean, leaky foundations and rusted plumbing and all this type of stuff. I, I want to tear it down. I just want to kind of start over again. Well, he's in a battle. The Whitefish Bay Historic Preservation Committee, which is a group of, of citizens, they've passed a resolution opposing the proposed demolition of of this house. And now Whitefish Bay is going to have to decide whether they're going to let them go ahead and do this or not. They've got a code that says that you're not supposed to, you know, agree to allow a house to be torn down unless the applicant has made good faith efforts for at least 60 days to find a buyer who agrees to preserve, relocate, or otherwise rehabilitate the building. All right, well... I don't necessarily think he's been looking for a buyer, but you're not going to find one because the, the dollars and cents don't just don't add up. The rules also say that uh, they can require the homeowner to make additional efforts to preserve the property. Um, and um, also the Historic Preservation Commission says that um, they are also obliged to take additional steps to preserve the historic building. Okay, so what you have here is you have a home that was built in 1928. It is historic, presumably, again, because of the architect. But because of events over the last 90 years, the, the home, well, in order to try to restore it, if you wanted to restore it, would cost over a million dollars. The purchase price was already $1.6 million, so you'd be in there $2.5-plus and you'd probably never be able to get that out of the house because it's not situated in order to take advantage of the lake views. So this guy wants to tear down, tear down the house and start over. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. He bought the property. It's his house. I don't think you have too many people that are falling in line to pay, you know, what it would take to not only buy the property and then to, you know, upgrade it. So my question is simple. Should he be able to do what he wants with the property? And in this case, he wants to demolish it and start over. Should he be able to do that? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a minute. I'll tell you where I come down on this as well. 414-799-1620. But, it, but I'm interested. I mean, it's house built in 1928, famous architect, and... Village of Whitefish Bay and at least one of the the Citizen Review Commission, the Historic Preservation Commission, apparently, you know, intent on trying to make this guy jump through all sorts of hoops. It looks like it's going to be a long fight. Should he be able to do what he wants with his property, including tear down the building that he owns if he wants to build a newer building on that? 414-799-1620. Um, we're back to discuss in just a minute. 216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Amy in New Berlin. Hi, Amy, you're first. Hi, Jeff. Um, 
Back in 2003, my husband and I were looking to move from the east side of Milwaukee, and we were looking at a bunch of different homes, and the Harnisch-Fager Mansion on 35th and Wisconsin was up for sale. And it was $350,000, which is a little bit out of our price range, but we thought, you know, it's, we want to go see it just to see if it's worth it. So we toured it. My husband happens to be an architect, so he, he knows all about how much stuff costs to fix and whatnot. So we toured it, and um, it would have cost us over a million dollars to restore it and make it livable. Right. And we realized when we saw that house, that we couldn't afford the upkeep and the repairs on it because it was way out of our budget. Right. That man that bought that house in Whitefish Bay, there is no way he did not know it had those issues before he bought it. Mm-hmm. Well, there I think is no. I think no he, way. I think Any he pr- responsible buyer doesn't know. Well, that. no, and I think he. I think he probably. I think he probably did. But my my next question would be then, so what? I mean, if if he's bought the house. Why shouldn't he be able to do what he wants with it, including tearing it down? Because when you purchase a piece of history, okay, so so say somebody, for example, okay, let's say the U.S. Constitution, the original document is up for sale, okay? Somebody buys it, and because they buy it, they want to burn it up because they own it. What's to stop them from doing it? If you buy something that is architecturally, historically significant, then especially if you buy it in a town like Whitefish Bay, where you know these rules exist because you've already had a battle with them, then I'm sorry, I have absolutely no sympathy for him at all. He got himself into it. He he needs to just sell the house and be done with it and walk away. Okay. Because that's that's just dumb. He's not being responsible. Well, no, I I don't know know that he's not being responsible. I mean, he's he's saying, hey, I want to live in this area, um, but this particular house... It's I, for it is it is just it is outlived its functional usefulness. I mean that that's what I guess the argument would be because I mean so, sometimes I, I get you've got old I get you've got historic but the reality is sometimes there's the, these houses that just to to retrofit them to do what you need to do to make them livable in 2018 is just so prohibitively expensive and then you're still stuck with the older house. So I guess to me that's the fundamental question though is. If you own it, should you have the right to do what you want with it, including tearing it down? Now, if you're going to rebuild something on that lot, obviously you have to comply with all the zoning rules and limitations they have. But just because it's old and just because it's, it's historic, does that mean that, that it has to stand there forever? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to um, Ted in Waukesha. Ted, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. What do you think? Um, I'm thinking if the historic society is bent on preserving that uh, the house, why don't they fund some of the money to help them um, remodel that? Well, but, but the truth is, he doesn't want to remodel it. He he doesn't he he doesn't want to live it. He wants to live in a more modern house. He he wants the location, but he he doesn't want that house because the way it's situated, it doesn't have enough views of the lake. And even if he spends a million dollars, he's still going to have a 90-some-year-old house. I think that's – I don't want to put words in the guy's mouth. But that's my guess. He wants a new house on that lot. And I agree. If he bought it, it's his property. He can do whatever he wants. If the historic society wants to preserve it, take a photo, put it in a book, and call it a day. Um, thanks, Nicole. Or, or offer to buy him out. But I don't I, – I don't, 
think that's the case. And, and let's, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, he, he went through this. So, I mean, I think he knew what these issues were. His plan is, I want this lot. And this is what makes this issue so, so interesting to me. I mean, is it, is it different because this is a house that's built by a, a famous architect? The house that my, my former house was in the National Register of Historic Homes because, again, of, of who the architect was. Um, but it was an older house that had a lot of, you know, when, whenever you try to do improvements, they would always cost you three times as much. Now, I never considered tearing down the house. I, I loved the older house and things like that. But I am sympathetic that when you live in one of these older houses, everything you want to do is three times as much trouble and three times as much money. In this particular case, the guy is saying, hey, I love the lot. This is where I want to be, but I, I just I want a new house. Should he have the right to do that? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Christine in Cedarburg. Hi, Christine. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think about all this? Well, you know, we live in Cedarburg. And we've had a, we were looking for old houses, and we had we purchased one and had to go through a lot of hassle, you know. Um, like doing improvements and upgrades and yeah, stuff like that, and, yeah. And rules and regulations and that type of thing. Um, but we also, when the house was, when we're looking at the houses, you do have them inspected, so you, you do know. Mm-hmm. And I understand that the gentleman owns the house now, but how many times do you hear about, you know, they stay by these little houses that are historically, you know, correct around the register, and then they put up this ginormous McMansion. Right. You know, that then now it just doesn't affect him. It affects other people's views. It affects, affects others, you know, people, mm-hmm. you know, value on their houses. So somebody has to pull, do a little bit of policing. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, you know, if he knew there are those issues there, maybe he should have let somebody else take it on and looked a little harder and a little further. Do you think... All right. Do do you think though that if you buy an older house that is in in that that is, has historic elements to it, in this case because of the architect, but is you know needs a million dollars in upgrading, you you shouldn't have the right to tear it down. That 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 house then this stays there forever until it falls down. I would probably have to walk away and say you know someone with more money is going to have to buy it and you know restore it. Look at Cedarburg. It's a great community with with. Uh, you know, people keep up the houses. They keep them historically correct. They mm-hmm. they don't just come in and tear them down. Otherwise, you have you know your generic communities, and and you would have no more historical homes. Okay, for preservation. Okay, no, thank you. I guess I, I, I and and I understand there is a value of preservation, and I, I understand that there's history. I also look at property rights, and I guess it's sort of like well, if. If you have a house that really, you know, people can't live in right now because of all, I guess physically you could live in it, um, but you, you know, you got a million, a house that's a million six that doesn't have the right situation for the views of the lake. You've got the house that doesn't have air conditioning. The plumbing's all rusted out. Um, it's going to cost a million dollars to just upgrade it. Even then you're going to have the problems at, at some point in time. I guess to me, if the choices are, all right, we're going to make you spend one, an extra million dollars to upgrade this property. So now the house is going to be worth more than it could ever possibly, you could ever possibly get out of it. And you're still going to have this older house that isn't situated right. Or since you bought it, you know, you, you got it, you get the right to do what you want with it. Now, I do think it is a reasonable requirement to say, all right, before you tear this down, you've got to market this. You know, you've got to see if there's somebody else that's going to come in and is willing to take this. And to preserve it. I guess I think that's a reasonable requirement, but nobody's going to do this. I think this is going to be a fascinating fight as to whether they tear this down or not. 
I think property owners have rights. I, I, I do. Now, what he erects next, once he tears this down, I mean, that's, of course, a whole different discussion. I understand exactly what she was talking about with, you know, the McMansions and things like that. Obviously, anything he's got to build has to comply with the wide variety of ordinances they have and the new construction stuff. I have no problem with that at all. But, you know, the fact that he's not allowed to put it up in the first place or tear down the building, that's where I have an issue. It is 228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ Journal Sentinel has the story. You can read more about it there. 237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let me give you some good news. The um, For those of you who have money invested in the stock market, and my guess is it, it's a lot of folks, if you've got a 401k plan, it is invested in, in the stock market. So when the stock market goes up, even though you're not planning to collect and cash that in for years and years, you do well. And when it goes down, it's, it's the flip side. Uh, today, the stock market's had a, a bad run in the last week or so, a couple dramatic drops. And today, because of some earnings news and some issues as to whether or not the U.S. is going to be able to cut a trade deal with China, the, the Dow Jones opened up down 500 points. I mean, it was a bloodbath at the beginning of the day, and the NASDAQ had opened up more than 100 points down. Um, the, the good news is that those numbers have been coming back, and now anything can happen in the next 23 minutes, but we're 23 minutes away from closing. And instead of being down 500, the Dow is down 64. Um, and the NASDAQ is down 13. So that's, that, that's a typical, that's a typical sort of day as opposed to a 500 point decline or something like that. So that's, you'd rather it be up than down and a lot can happen in the next 20 minutes. But again, it's in a much better situation than it was, say, at 930 this morning. All right. I, I, I mentioned this, oh gosh, several months ago. I finally got around to cutting the cord on the landline. In, in my, my older home, my, the home I used to live in, um, we had we, we had a landline, and, and I, I kept it uh, out, out of inertia as, as much as anything else. And then when I got ready to move, I decided I, I didn't need it anymore, so I dropped the landline, and now I, I, I we don't have one. I have a cell phone. My wife has a cell phone. The... The cable package, we have Spectrum like cable and, and they, they bundle it. So they, they gave us a phone line. So there's like a phone number. We never had it hooked up. <laughs> so we never had it hooked up. So every once in a while, the TV will flash with some call that comes in. I have no idea what the number or anything is. Cause again, we, we've, we never had it hooked up cause we wouldn't use it. So I, I, I now I have my cell phone. My wife has her cell phone and we get by just fine. I don't miss landline at all. And especially when I think about what I used to pay for, for the landline, don't miss it at all. Now, I bring this up because AT&T, apparently in Illinois, they're, they're making no secret of the fact that they'd like to get out of the landline telephone business because that's just not, it's just not the future. More and more people are doing, you know, what, what I did. And they're, they're discontinuing the landline. Landlines are very, very um, cost-intensive to, to have to service, you know, when something happens to them. It's just much easier. Plus, they, they want to get everybody onto their cellular services. That's what the goal is. Um, AT&T is still offering landline service in Illinois. But apparently what they've decided to do is um, they are saying that th- this lifeline credit, and that's something – that for, for low-income people, 
there used to be um, a, a credit that you could you could get to through this lifeline thing for low income people so that they could have their their landline subsidized. AT and T is saying we're no longer going to participate in this particular program. So that means that you know if you you can keep your you can keep your landline, but you're not going to be able to use these. You know, we're not going to service this. We're not going to participate in the, the thing. So what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to get these discounts from another provider, which means in all likelihood you're going to be forced to go to wireless. Again, they're, they're moving people off of the landlines. And in this case, they're doing it by cutting back on um, the, the low-income subsidies. It affects about 5,400 people in the Chicago area and more downstate. But it is it is the trend and it's the wave of the future. Our number four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am of a certain age. I remember pay telephones. I mean, I can remember when you would travel and you would go through the airport. There would be banks of, of pay phones, and you would run up to the pay phone. Gru, you're just looking at me. You have no idea. This is a generation that you do not are not familiar with. You would you get off the plane. And, and you'd run up to the payphone and you'd have this credit card. You'd punch in all these numbers and you'd call home or you'd call work or, or whatever. You'd, you'd have the payphone. I remember phone booths, the things that you'd be walking on the street and you'd have to make the phone call. So you'd go into the phone booth and you'd open the door and then you'd go in and you'd shut the door and you'd use your credit card or you'd actually put money into the thing and then you'd make the phone calls and stuff. Nowadays, good luck trying to find a phone booth. Nowadays, good luck, you know, trying to find, you know, any appreciable number of payphones. They, they've just been rendered obsolete because of the fact that everybody nowadays, everybody or almost everybody carries cell phones. So, 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is clear that, you know, AT&T, while they're not saying we're discontinuing landlines in Illinois, that's the direction that they are definitely trying to push customers, you know, towards their their wireless service. Here's what I would like to discuss. Are landlines are landlines going to be the VHS and the Betamax te- tapes of, of the future? Will, say, 10 years from now, will there still be landline service? Or will everybody be wireless? And, you know, would you miss it if the landline went away? I will tell you honestly... I I just the, the last couple years I had the landline at my house I I hardly ever used it I mean the only time the phone would ring it would almost always be solicitors um for conversations for everything I use my cell phone nowadays and I think that's how most people are would you miss landlines if they went away and are they going away 4147991620 we discuss in a moment if you're on the line please hold on 243 Jeff Wagner WTMJ 247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, let me, let me give you some numbers. I have these, it's from about a year and a half ago. Um, at the end of 2016, all right, at the end of 2016, about 51% of homes and apartments had only cell phone service. Only cell phone service. Um, 45% had landline phones. Um, and, and some of the people in that 45% of the landline phones also had cell phones. Matter of fact, my guess is that would be a good percentage of people. And I was like that for a while, long while. You had the landline phones and you had the cell phones. But more homes are, are cell phone only 
than our, our landline phones. And some of the telecoms are kind of pushing to try to get out of the landline business. Will we still have landlines in the next five to ten years? Tom in Iron Ridge. Tom, you're at WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. I understand why everybody wants to get rid of landlines for practicality with cell phones and home already, but I've worked as a dispatcher in our county, and it's so much nice to have a 911 call comes in and it's a landline. We know where to send services immediately. It just makes our job a little easier. I understand, though, when they call on the cell, sometimes it takes a little longer to spot versus latitude, longitude. Right. But calling from landlines, especially with the elderly people, it's I see a lot of more elderly keeping their landlines just for that fact, and it does sure make our jobs a lot easier. Well, you know, and I think that I, I think it is going to be a generational type of thing. I think it's sort of like with print newspapers in some respects. That there's people who who grew up with, with the landlines, and even if they've got a cell phone, they're, they're reluctant to get rid of them, whereas I, my guess is you have several generations. Maybe it's people, I don't know what the age would be, under the age of 40, you know, under the age of 45, whatever it is, who just, landlines, they, they just don't deal with them. And so the, the thought of having one would be like having a dinosaur in your garage. You're just not going to do it. Totally agree, totally agree. And, and I agree with you. It seems like, 40 and under seems about that right area where it fits. Right. Well, they're hanging on to cell phones, but I'm 47 myself, and I just find myself. It Again, I understand the practicality. People want to save money, but in the long run, sometimes it is a lot easier when people do hang on. I personally still have a landline, and my kids, fortunately, have used it um, for a situation that occurred at home. Right. It makes the job so much easier. Right, and of course, and thanks to the call, of course, and you know, one of the things... A lot, like I said, I like as, as part of our internet bundle, I have a phone number that is assigned. I never had it hooked up. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know what it is. Never had it hooked up. Um, cell phones, of course, work in a, in a, in a localized power outage. Um, obviously, if there's some cell phone disruption and a tower goes down, that's a different sort of story. But, you know, it, the, it, like the internet phone, if your power goes out of your house, well, that's not going to work. A traditional landline would, in fact, work. Let's talk to Susan in Waterford. Hi, Susan. You're on WTMJ. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Um, I still have my landline. I'm 62, and I actually try to use it more than I do my cell phone. Why? Um, I don't know. I just like it better. I okay. like knowing that it's at home, and uh, when there's power outages, obviously, I'm glad right. I got my cell phone, but I just... Uh, I prefer my landline. When somebody asks me for my phone number, that's the first number I give them. Interesting. I mean, now, obviously, when you do what I do for a living, sound quality is always better on a landline than it is on a on, on a cell phone, or, or almost always. You know, if we're going to have a guest or something, it's always, gosh, I hope the person has access to a landline because it always kind of sounds better. <laughs> but you use, I mean, so the landline is your first, if, if I'm asking you for your number, I'm getting the landline number, not the cell phone number. That is correct. Interesting. Is correct. I use it all the time. Interesting. Now, thank, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. I wonder, again, I, I do think it's kind of this generational type of thing that's out there because you know, my, my producer, Gru, is looking, when I talk about pay phones, he, he looks at me like I've got two heads or the, the phone booths. Those are the things that you see in, in the museums. I think at some point in time, the technology is going to pass this by. Now, there still are issues with people who kind of live in very rural areas where the cell phone service is is spotty. Let's talk to Dan in Lake Geneva. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. 
Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. That's our situation. We're uh, west of Lake Geneva near Walworth, and spotty, uh, it's very spotty to get any kind of cell phone service. So that unless you're standing in a certain location and the sun is shining and it's not windy and there are no trees, <laughs> the leaves aren't on the trees, then maybe you can get an occasional cell phone service. So we are totally reliant on a landline and it uh, to be without it we would have have no capability at all i'm in the car right now and i'm driving and i have a flip phone and right. we use that strictly for emergencies <laughs> but if we wanted but if we want reliable service we have to have a cell phone and it's not expensive um you you have a basic service and that's that's just it. And um, it, it, in our case, if you're out in the country, there's no other option. You, 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 you made me smile when you said flip phone. You, you and my my brother-in-law, I think, are the only two people left in the world that still have flip phones. You know, and well, he's he's very proud of his. <laughs> well, that that's just it, and it works great. And you know, if I have an emergency, I can call or do something like this. But otherwise. Um, I don't want to be connected. I had a very high-impact job. My husband was uh, in the military for a long time and had a very high-impact job. So that when we retired, we totally disconnected. We're not in the 21st century. We're in the 18th century and happy to be there. I, I, I was, it's, it's funny you should say that because I, I was genuinely curious when you talked. Uh, do you... Are are you are you online? Are, do you have do you have cable? Do you have satellite? No. None. No, okay. No, no, no. We have, you know, first of all, you can't get it out in the country. Okay. I mean, it, 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 they don't even offer it. But um, we do not have internet service. We do not have smartphones. And when somebody asks to get in touch with us, I give them my <laughs> home address, and they can mail me anything they want. If they want to call me, they can call me on the cell phone, on, on the, the landline, and we're really happy. And we don't uh, we don't have to worry about um, being stolen, our identities right. being stolen, because nothing's online. Okay, well, will, you, will, you, will you do me a favor? You promise me one thing. You're not going to give up the radio, are you? Oh, no, that's okay. absolutely essential in the automobile. That I, I, would not be able, I would not be able to survive without a radio. Okay, fair, fair enough. Thanks for calling. Fair, fair enough. Okay, you can live without the other stuff, but for goodness sakes, don't give up the radio. It's 2.54. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds. This is Jeff Wagner.